welcome you this morning to the Lord's house, and we thank God for the grace He gives us to come to a brand new day. And we are glad that you're here, and our prayer is that we will unite in our praises unto the Lord. The hymn that we have to start with today is not one that's in our book, but the tune will be familiar to you, and as the words are up on the screen, it was written by John Newton, and we know that name well from his hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Well, this uh, hymn, it starts, Dear Savior, of thy people here, thy presence now display. As thou hast given a place of prayer, so give us hearts to pray. I want the uh, organist and the company, the pianist, please, to play through the opening verse as you watch the words, and then we will stand to sing. theme that Newton brings out in that hymn was certainly linking up, wasn't it, with his thought of being saved by God's grace. Uh, when he was a changed man, Newton was a wicked slave trader, a captain of a vessel that transported people from one place, from their homes, and selling them into slavery. And yet, by God's grace, reached down and touched the heart of that man. And so then he rejoiced. He could come to a house of prayer. He realized that God's house was devoted and dedicated to God's people. No matter what's going through your mind and heart this morning, we can rejoice that we come to one who is able to take care and to help us in every time of our need. Though the stresses and difficulties may be high, Yet still, we rejoice in the living God for us. The last verse 
and said, And may the gospel's joyful sound, enforced by mighty grace, awaken many sinners round to come and fill this place. I know that's been your prayer. I hear it in our prayer meetings that God would work in the hearts of people from our community, bring visitors in, let them know that this house on the corner of Nielsen and Finch is a gospel preaching house, and they might come to find help, and they might come to find a remedy for the guilt and the distress of the heart. And so it's our prayer that people would come, they would see the Lord, they would find Him by faith, and they would trust and know Him as their own. If you haven't been praying that prayer, well, let me encourage you to join with others. We will pray together for the Lord to do that for us. Let's come to pray now, please. Our loving God and Father, what joy there is in our hearts to come today to a brand new morning, a day set aside for the worship of Thy great and holy name. Dear Father, I pray that we would know and be very conscious of the Savior's presence here, the Spirit's help in our worship. Yes, Lord, we know that this is a house of prayer, and we know that this place has been dedicated to the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to present the unsearchable riches of our Lord And Father, as we are growing in grace, in the knowledge of Christ, as we enjoy the company and the fellowship of other believers of like precious faith, Lord, we know the central reason of our attendance here is that we may lift up the name of our Lord Jesus. And Father, come and draw near to every heart today. And I pray that there would be handfuls of purpose. There would be great blessing from the Word to every heart. And Lord, let us not be lazy in our worship. Let us not be distracted. Let us come with a concentrated heart and mind, devoting ourselves unto our God, devoting every moment, and that we would draw blessings and help from such a gathering and time as this. Dear Lord, we know the devil has a purpose to disrupt our meeting. He has distractions to bring to our minds, temptations, even into the sacred place. And therefore, Lord, we pray that he will be defeated. He will be bound up and not able to destroy or hurt this meeting today. And Lord, what we ask for here. We pray for all of our congregations. We ask for all of our churches. We pray beyond our own borders, and we think, Lord, of those, every faithful tongue that is exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear God, bless, we pray. May there be a great in-gathering on this Lord's day, the salvation of souls and the encouragement and building up of your people. Lord, we sense we are living in the last of the last days. We see a great rejection globally of the Word of God and of the things of Christ. And yet, Lord, we also know that there is a great global working of the Spirit 
And there are many people who are coming to trust in the Lord Jesus. We think of those in countries where they're greatly restricted in their worship, and they have no freedom of the gospel. And yet in those places, Lord, it seems and appears the gospel is going forward with great power, and many are being converted. And we are thankful for this, and we pray, Lord, for the protection and safety of those Christians that are in places where they are persecuted for their faith. May they know the presence of the Savior, the protecting hand of the Spirit upon them, and may their testimony and witness be not hindered at all, but going forward with great power and great grace, just as the disciples in the New Testament in the book of Acts, as they testified and witnessed, they had the power of God upon them. And Lord, that's what we need, and that's what we are praying for here in this congregation and in every one of our churches and in every faithful pulpit. Bless all of our missionaries. Father, prosper them, encourage them, and let them see souls saved and people edified in their holy faith. Lord, bless our congregation of people, the many sick ones that we have continually been praying for. And Lord, we are thankful for small tokens and evidences of Your hand upon these dear people. But Lord, we pray on and pray that they will know much peace and much healing. We think, Lord, of the elderly, those who are infirm, those in seniors' homes not able to get out to the services as once they did. Father, suit a blessing for them specifically. And those who are viewing our service online from a distance or even locally, dear God, bless the Word of God. Use this means of outreach, we pray, for the honor of King Jesus and the encouragement and extension of the Church of Christ worldwide. Lord, we are such a small number, such a weak and a feeble people, and yet we do not depend on our own ability. We rest, O God, upon the authority of heaven and upon the power promised of the Holy Ghost to enable us to go forward and to do the work and the service of Christ in the gospel kingdom. Lord, this is our need. This is our request. This is our hope. And this, Lord, is the confidence that we have. We come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. So, Lord, empower us. So let us speak with the authority of heaven, whether it is in a public forum as this, or, Lord, whether it is in our private testimony and witness. Give us the authority of heaven, and let the words that we speak go right to the heart of the people that we are speaking to. Lord, bless everyone who is visiting the service, those that have come back to be with us again. Thankful this morning for our sister Valencia here. We pray, Father, for your hand to be upon her and to bless her and her family. We thank you, Lord, for her faithfulness, and we pray that she will know much blessing and direction in her life. Dear God, 
Hear our prayers today. Remember our nation, our land. Oh, Father, we are, we are much in need of the moving of your Spirit. We pray again that you would rebuke the foolishness of the leaders of our land that seem to go headlong down the course of evil. Oh, God, we pray that you would help us that you would help us and restrict our leaders and the people who are in place of authority from doing foolish and godless things. O oh Lord, have mercy upon our nation, we pray. We ask also for the neighboring nation to the south of us, the United States. O oh God, have mercy upon that nation. We sense and feel that in our lands, Judgment has already gone forward in the governments that we have been given. But, oh God, we pray again for a mighty moving, a restricting of the evil, a blessing of the church of Christ. Lord, revive our hearts, we pray, and draw us nearer that we will shine brightly for the Master in our day. Because, Lord, we know that soon this passing world will be done, and soon we will come to our long home, our eternal rest. But until then, let us be vigilant about the Master's work and purpose. Hear our prayers today, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing, please, again to the Lord's praise, number 342. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun, when I stand with Christ on high, looking over life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much that I owe. Who we'll stand to sing?
We're reading today in the Lord's Word for a congregational reading from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, the first eight verses. The Apostle has come to the final words that he is writing as he is in prison, incarcerated for his faith, and yet he has the joy and the sight of heaven in front of him. He can see, it appears, the light of glory shining on him, and yet he does not forget and is not going to ignore those who are yet behind him in the race. And Timothy, a son in the faith, he is giving some final words of encouragement and exhortation to him. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the alive, and the dead at his appearing, and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. We know that the Lord will bless these words, and once more what, what great peace they bring to the heart, and even to the troubled heart of the believer, because in this world we have no lasting peace. In this world we have no residence but we are only campers. We are only progressing through. And I pray that the Lord would turn our eyes heavenward, and we'll not forget that truth, because the tendency is in our humanness to get our roots down a bit too far, and maybe get a little bit too attached to the things of this life. But praise God, we know today that our home is in glory. And as the light was dawning of that eternal day upon the great Apostle Paul, so he could say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith by the grace of God. And there was laid up for him 
a crown of righteousness, an everlasting reward. And believer, that is in front for each one of us who know and follow the Lord and have given our lives to Him. And that's what we want to do. We want to live out and out for Him. And where we have to say, well, Lord, have we let the side down at all? Have we failed to pursue as we should pursue? Has our zeal been less than what it should be? Well, we all have to check those boxes, but we say, Lord, overrule and overcome and help us to be about the Master's business for our time and our days are numbered and we want to be about His work and His service. A crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. This is a great word of encouragement and of comfort for us today. Well, we welcome you all this morning to the house of the Lord. We're very happy that you are here, and we especially give a warm word of welcome to our sister Valencia, visiting us from Florida. Valencia was very much a part of our congregation for a number of years until she decided to move south to warmer climate, and uh, yet she's been attending the Orlando congregation down there. We're very happy about that, and she faithfully joins our Wednesday evening prayer meetings as often and regularly as she can, and many of our services as well, and she always attends the ladies' Bible study when they're going. And uh, so, Valencia, we want to encourage you in the Lord, and uh, thank you for being here today. And please take our greetings to your family and the congregation back in Orlando. And of course, the Orlando congregation have just voted and received, uh, well, looking forward to soon receive a new minister, Reverend Logan Elder, a student recently graduated from our seminary. And they are excited on January the 13th is going to be the ordination service. And I'm thankful in the will of God I have the opportunity of going down there as we are traveling through to go to the Dominican Republic. So there's going to be an ordination on Friday night, January 13th, and then on the 15th as well down in Dominican. So it'll be a busy weekend but that time, but we're asking for you to remember uh, Logan and other, also Brother Ramon Sosa in the Dominican as preparations are made for those important meetings. But I get ahead of myself, and we're still in the welcome stage for everyone, and we're happy that you are here, and those folks viewing our services online, you are also very, very welcome today. Remember, please, in prayer, Reverend Cranston and Reverend Bodner is needing uh, the prayers of God's people in their time of sickness, and uh, praying also for the church in Port Hope. Brother Diderno is ministering in Port Hope today as Brother Cranston still unable. I'll greatly appreciate your prayers as Monday morning I begin three weeks of lectures on Zoom for our seminary, Geneva Reform Seminary, and they will be each day for the period of three weeks, and Monday to Friday that is, and so greatly appreciate your prayers. It will be an exhausting time for the lecturer and probably for the students as well. I could add that. And so the students will also need your prayers for us as we go through the subject matter of studying 
the subject, the life of Christ in Christology, and how that applies to doctrine in the Scriptures. Fascinating uh, subject matter, and great to encourage our hearts as we go through these times. Our service is today, 5.50, our pre-service prayer time, and then 6.30, our evening service tonight. Now this evening, there will be a fellowship time, as it's the last Lord's Day of the month afterward, so we hope you'll be able to come and plan to stay. We, as our family, we would like to, uh, we're going to be providing a birthday cake. It's my mother's 98th birthday next Sunday, actually, on the day. And so at this fellowship time, uh, the family wants to provide a birthday cake so that everyone can enjoy, and that will be at the fellowship time. We'll recognize that uh, later on tonight. On Tuesday evening, there will be the first in the season of the Ladies' Bible Study. It is on Zoom at 7 p.m., and if you're online watching and you'd like to be a part of that, please send a request to the email that will come up on the screen sometime through the service, and uh, you'd be welcome to join with us and anyone, of course, in our fellowship who would like to join. It will be Zoom only, 7 p.m. Then Wednesday, 7.30 Uh, Mr. Fraser, Brother James Fraser, will be doing the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and the gym fellowship continues on Friday evening. Next Lord's Day, oh, on Saturday, December the 3rd, there will be a young adult fellowship, Christmas fellowship here in the church, and so, uh, folks, you uh, have already received email notice of that and know exactly what to do. But if anyone else didn't get that email and you would like to join and come along You'd be most welcome to do that next Saturday evening. And if you want more detail, speak to our brother McAnally or brother Simon. They'll be able to help you with that. Next Lord's Day morning, I hope to be here to bring the message in the morning. Brother DiDerno will be bringing the evening message, and then we will be having communion after the evening service next Lord's Day evening. So it's not in the morning, but after the evening time couple advance announcements. I've been reminding you about our directory that's going to be updated for the new year, and already several folks have given their names or changes of addresses, and if we don't have yours yet, be sure if you want your name on there, we'd uh, welcome it to be there. Uh, you let us know, and you can send an email to us at torontoinfo or office at torontofpc.ca. On December the 25th, the Lord's Day falls right on that time for Christmas Day, and we're going to be having an international lunch that day right after the morning service, and that will be for everyone, and we encourage all the families to uh, bring enough for themselves, and there's always extra, we know, for visitors that may come and want to invite a family member or someone else that you know doesn't normally attend a service, they'd be very welcome to come that day. And we'll be having a praise service immediately following the lunch in the afternoon on that day, and then there will be no evening service on the 25th. Your tithes and offerings that you give to the work of God, they are always appreciated, and we know that it is for the work of God. And certainly as we come near the end of the year, we want to be sure that our accounts are up to date with God. And so therefore... I encourage you to take notice to that in your own accounting and in your own tithes and offerings, 
The offering plate is on the table in the foyer if you care to donate to the work of God here and to the missions that we are involved with. We're going to sing now a song of praise to the Lord, number 175. A good high priest is come, 175. Let's stand as we sing. now to the book of John, chapter 17, John's Gospel. Reading the first ten verses of John 17.
These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known them. Surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Let's bow, please, for prayer. Father, once more we have come to a portion of Scripture which is very high and deep and wide. And I pray that as we investigate these solemn words, that there would be help given by the Spirit of God to me as I speak them, to everyone here that listens, that to all of us would be given a hearing ear and an understanding heart. Dear Lord, take away every distraction from our service. Take away, we pray, those temptations that would even come into a place of worship. Dear Lord, bless us now this morning. Write your word upon every heart. Save, Father, some soul outside of Jesus for whom he died. Bless us now this morning. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. I draw your attention today, please, to verse 9 of this chapter, where Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. 
In chapter 17 of John's Gospel, we have been thinking about the high priestly prayer where the Lord is communing with His heavenly Father, and He is setting out His petitions that the glory of God would be revealed, that God would glorify His only begotten Son with the glory that He had before the world was, before He had come to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. The heart of the prayer of John 17 is for the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the glory would be given to Christ in His coming to earth to receive what the Lord His Father had given Him to do and to fulfill that task. He came to save a corrupted and rebellious humanity that was in the heart of the Father from all eternity. And Christ came to fulfill the will of His Father. What was the name given to Jesus, spoken by the Spirit to Joseph and Mary? His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Such a Savior is ours. And there is great comfort today in knowing that the one who died to save us is the same one who is praying for us today. J.C. Ryle commented, What Christ asks for His people, His people should ask for themselves. Such people know and feel that great sinners need a great Savior and that no mere human Redeemer would meet their wants and needs. The last time we considered verses 2 and 3 of this chapter, how Jesus spoke of knowing the true God, and in that knowledge is the essence, the reality, the truth of eternal life. In fact, you cannot have everlasting life unless you have a knowledge of God the Father in your life. And that knowledge brings light and hope and truth. And so the knowledge of God the Father is parallel and equal to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Son of the Father. And that knowledge is everlasting life. And it linked up to the covenant promise that the Father made with His Son that He would give unto Him a people, a remnant, an inheritance, and all the salvation of those given by the Father to the Son would come to the glory of Father and Son. And so as we consider verse 9 this morning and thinking about the intercession of Christ Jesus and what it means to us, believer, I want us to really stop and consider the weight of this prayer today, 
Because when we grasp the reality of its truth, it will fortify our spirit. It will nerve our determination to go forward in serving God faithfully in our time. And most definitely, when you feel the weakness of your own spirit, and you feel the emptiness of your own soul, coming back to the reality that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is interceding for you, it will strengthen your heart, and it will bless your soul. Jesus said, I pray for them. Well, we have three questions to ask today from this text, and the first one is this. Quite simply, who is Christ praying for? We know from the context that our Lord was praying for His disciples who could hear His passionate intercession. Indeed, this was I believe, a fuller and an ongoing answer to a previous prayer that they had prayed when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so as they prayed that some time before, and the Lord's prayer was given to them at that time, our Father, which art in heaven, well, so now they are being further instructed as to how to pray and to pray by hearing this very passionate intercession of Jesus to their heavenly Father. What better way is it for them and for us to learn how to pray, but to meditate and study and investigate the prayer of the Son speaking to the Father? This is great for us to learn. They had listened to His wonderful words. They had listened to the gracious words of Christ. They had witnessed many things in His life. They had heard His preaching and His teaching. They had heard the one-on-one conversations with individuals whom He eventually healed. They had heard Him say to the man who was the paralytic, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, they had heard many things. And I would say to you that they had heard many prayers that the Savior had prayed. But now, just after the closing message or the closing ministry and admonition that Jesus has been given to them from John 13 all the way down to John 16, they are hearing great things. And now they're listening to a great prayer. It's very important for us in our lives as Christians to take an example of this and not only listen and study the prayer of our Lord, but it's good for us to listen to the prayers of mature Christians. For in listening to the intercession of others, it will be helpful for us also as we will learn how to pray. Yes, we would all admit that our praying is very weak. And we would admit that our prayer is not a worthy example for anyone else to be following. 
But you see, friends, the closer that you become to the Lord, the closer that you are looking with your eyes by faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ and endeavoring to mirror His attributes, His attitudes, His prayer, His words, then as those things become part of us, then we also become an example to others. And is that not so important? It is very, very important. Yes, we know our weaknesses, but we look and see even an example that we have in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 of the great cloud of witnesses. God has given to us these Old Testament saints, and they are all set up as highlights. And why are they highlighted? Because they were men and women of faith. And Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith they accomplished this. By faith they went here. By faith they did this. And therefore, their example of their eyes upon God is a good teaching tool for us. So therefore, it is instructive for us in the Bible to examine the lives, the example, the testimony of others, yes, also in their praying. And as we listen and follow good and godly examples, I think of the Apostle Paul. He said that those whom he was ministering the Word of God to, those who he had started churches and other of his fellow ministers, he said to them, follow me. Now, sometimes we would think, I'm not so sure I want to say for someone to follow me because of my faltering example. No, friend, put that aside. Because our example is to be the example of Christ. And therefore, every single believer should be saying, yes, to somebody else, follow me. I am going toward the Lord. I am following Christ. Therefore, follow me, and I will take you to Him. I will show you the way. And is that not incumbent then upon us to be very sure that we do not give bad example, that we do not show by our life or by the failure of following our Lord's example that we discourage someone. Ah, oh, you've all heard it, and I know I have. If that person is a Christian, I don't want Christianity because of what they do and how they live and so on and so on. But no, that's not the way it should be. Every single Christian is to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. And in that reflection, we are to say, yes, look at my life in order that you might see a reflection of my Lord. And in our prayer life, that's also how it should be. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. But though the disciples were in view, when Jesus said to them, I pray for them. That's in the context of what was being spoken. There is a much wider application in this prayer, for He goes on to pray for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are thine. And this goes back to verse 2 that we thought about in our previous study. 
where the Lord Jesus Christ said that He, Christ, would give eternal life to as many as the Father hath given to Him. And so who is Jesus praying for when He said, I pray for them? Yes, in the immediate context, He's praying for His disciple band. For they are the ones who are hearing His prayer. But by the very context also, as all that the Father has given to Christ would come to Him, so Jesus is also praying for them. The Savior is referring to all that the Father had given in covenant promise before the foundation of the world. And that includes everyone who has confessed their sin and has professed their faith in the Redeemer. If you're saved today, friend, and I ask you today, are you saved today? Do you know and are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your own? If you have repented of your sin and you have invited and asked Christ to come into your life and your heart, then you can say, I know Him. I love Him. He belongs to me and I belong to Him. And you are part of who Jesus is here praying for. The Savior has given eternal life to them whom the Father has given to Him. And the Lord Jesus, in giving eternal life to those for whom He died, He did not waste. He did not expend the value and the merit of His atoning blood on those who would one day end up in a lost eternity in hell. For my friends, if Jesus died to pay the price for every sinner who has ever lived, then of divine certainty, every single person that has ever lived would be in heaven. But we know that is not true. We know the Bible gives us examples from the very beginning of Cain, who was the first murderer, and all the way down to Judas, the betrayer. And so when we consider these things, my dear friends, we ask that question, for whom was Jesus praying? Who are these people, you ask? Who are the so-called elect that the Bible speaks about. Well, if you discover, and when you discover who they are, you can please let me know, because when you figure that out, I will preach to them, and we will see them saved by God's grace. But the fact is, we do not know, and God has made it that way. Because He commands us to preach the gospel to all men. The Lord commands us to give the free offer of the gospel out to all. And when we do preach the gospel and we give out the invitation, we then leave in the hands of the sovereign God, the Spirit of the Lord, and allow Him to do His work. 
And I use the word allow in a figurative sense because we don't allow God to do anything except that we're stepping back from it. We're saying, Lord, we will obey the command. We will preach the Gospel. And please, Lord, now You must do Your work. There are very sadly many folks who look like followers of Christ but they may end up being hypocrites. And they are no more the children of the Lord than the devil is the child of God. We can be fooled, at least for a time, until eventually will come when the Holy Spirit will reveal the hypocrisy of those who pretend to be one thing, but they are not really truly saved. But our job is to make the message clear send out the Word, and there is for the Christian, there is for us immense comfort to know that the Savior is praying for us today. He is making intercession, and it's part of His vital high priestly work that He is doing now. It's no doubt a blessing when someone tells you that they're praying for you, And when you share that with someone else, and I encourage you to do that, not with empty and hollow words, but do it meaningfully. You tell someone you're praying for them, then make sure you're going to do it. But that's a great blessing to other people. So what is it, my dear friends, for us to know now that our Savior is in glory presenting the value and the work of His atonement before His Father, extending His nail-pierced hands? and holding up our needs before Him. Let this truth give to us spiritual fortitude. Let it make us strong in Christ in the face of the fiercest of opposition, not fearing the face of men. For we know this truth. If God be for us, who can be against us? That is the hope of the believer today. But there is another part of verse 9, John 17. What about those not prayed for? Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. This statement is very direct. Is it not a bit shocking in its directness? Some folks might look at this and say, I thought Jesus was supposed to be the gentle, loving, meek and mild one, accepting of everyone. I mean, doesn't Jesus love everyone? How then could He make what appears to be such a cold, unloving, unfeeling statement that he would not pray for the world. And so the skeptic comes along to a verse like this in the Bible, and they would say, well, that just goes to show you this so-called Jesus. Who is he and what is he? I thought he was supposed to be the one who is going to be saving everyone, and the skeptic is just adding further to their denying of the truth. 
But what about the, the nominal churchgoer, the one that has had some experience or knowledge about the things of God? Where are they when it comes to a verse like this? Because they would believe in something called universal salvation. And they have kind of a, a fuzzy view of the idea that one day, God is just going to say to everyone who has ever sinned or ever done any wrong, let's just forget the whole thing. Let's just come on into heaven and everybody's welcome at the end. And they have this idea that one day God will do that. And then, of course, you, you come to some who have grown up in the church and they have departed, perhaps due to the enlightenment of teenage years. Yeah, they've come to the years of knowledge. And they know better than the parents that have brought them up. They know better than their elders. They know better than the people that have been around them and the old gullible Christians that have been in the church for a long time. This is just old stuff. I don't believe this anymore. We're not going down that road. They cannot abide such a verse as this where Jesus said, I do not pray for the world. They judge that they're wiser than the Bible. And such a harsh word as this, they would not be willing to submit to the, the teaching here. And yet the fact remains, however you want to examine it, this is what Jesus said, I pray not for the world. But how does this mesh with John chapter 3, verse 16? For we know that verse well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. A great gospel text. But once more, my friends, as we are confronted with what appears to be on the surface a discrepancy, and a discrepancy in the word that was spoken a few chapters before in the gospel of John by Jesus Himself, by the way, and now we have another word that Jesus says. One time He says, God so loved the world, and then He says, I'm not praying for the world. How do you measure up? How does this work? Well, the only way that you will come to understand this is by examining how the Bible uses words and examining how the Lord includes certain words and verses in the context of His teaching. Because if you take a verse out of its context, you will distort its meaning, and it will, you will be confused, and you will not have the fuller understanding of it. So when we look at the use of biblical words in this one specifically, when the Bible uses the word world, it is in its restrictive sense of the word. And the only way that we will understand it is by considering examples of how it is used in the Bible. For instance, in the days of our Lord, when He was an infant, you will know that there was a Roman decree that went out that all the world should be taxed. Now, what world was this? This was, of course, the world 
that was known of the Roman Empire. And those villages and peoples that were outside the Roman world, they were not paying taxes to Caesar, for they were not even perhaps knowledgeable that there was a Caesar. And we also thought recently about King Darius the Mede. And in the empire that he had, he wrote after Daniel was delivered from the den of lions, he said, "...unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth." But we know that that was the earth of the Medo-Persian empire and those that were under the authority or the sword and the armies of King Darius. So as we come back to John 17, I want you to note this and not lose out on this point. The very statement of Jesus here proves it. For when the Lord said He did not pray for the world, He had just finished stating that He prayed for those whom the Father had given to Him. And these were, of course, people who were in the world. They were citizens of the world. And so Jesus said, I will give eternal life to all that the Father has given me that are alive in this world, either past, present, or future. And obviously the world that is here spoken about by Jesus It does not mean every single person who has ever lived. And if you come back for a moment to John 3, verse 16, what does that mean then when it says, for God so loved the world? It is the world of all humanity. It is the world of every race and every color and every nationality and every background. And I'm looking today here at the world of sinners that have been redeemed for, thank God, within our denomination, within our church here in Toronto, we have cultures and nationalities from right across the globe. And it is a most blessed and a thing I am thankful for as a pastor. And so we could say that the gospel has been preached to the world here. And God so loved you, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Our Lord teaches us that there are some things in His statement, some things and some people that we are not to pray for because in so doing, we are outside of the will of God. And how do we know this? How will you know that? Well, that's not something that you can be told by someone else necessarily, but it is certainly something that the Holy Spirit will make known to you from the Scriptures and from your study. But I say this must be very carefully looked at, very carefully executed, because we need great wisdom. The Holy Spirit will burden our hearts to pray And as we pray in great general praying, we never really know and see the answers to such prayers. And so when we pray for the Spirit's direction and guidance, 
when we're dealing with such a matter of this, as we come to the place of prayer, we want to be in the will of God. We want to be praying according to the will of God. And we must have the mind of the Spirit in this. So for who is Christ praying today? He is praying for His own. He is praying for those whom the Father has given to Him. And He is interceding believer for you and for me today and for every one of His chosen ones that will ultimately come to Him by sovereign grace. I want you to think of a second question this morning. Why does Jesus pray for His people? Why does He pray for them? Well, I can tell you He prays for them because they now belong to Him through that covenant of grace. And they have believed that Christ came forth from the Father. And how did they come to know this knowledge? Well, do you remember when the disciples and Jesus asked them, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stepped forward and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And so the revelation, the knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, it comes from God Himself. It is revealed by the Spirit of God to the hearts of individuals. And therefore... Those who belong to the Father are the ones and the reason why Christ is praying for us. Jesus said, because I have manifested the Father's name unto them. Because they have received the word of the Father and they have kept the word of the Father. So the Lord gives those three reasons and yes, these disciples, I mean, they were Jews. They were brought up in Judaism, even nominally. And so they knew the name God. They knew the name Jehovah. They knew the name Adonai, Lord. They knew all of those phrases and expressions. But you can tell by this very context that those two things are much separated. It's one thing to know the name of God, and it's a very different thing to know the name manifested to them of God. And they had been enlightened through faith. The Spirit of God had opened their understanding, and now they knew who God was as He was their Creator and Redeemer and Savior. And as Christ had been revealed to them, He promises to pray for them. I want you to think for a moment of what it means when Jesus said that they have, that He had revealed or manifested the Father's name to them. This is one of the reasons why He is praying for them. This is one of the main reasons in the context of this chapter that He manifested the name of the Father. Now, why does it not say He has just manifested the Father unto them? We have this expression many times in the Scripture about the name of God. 
And friends, it teaches us because the name of the Lord has been exalted and lifted up. And didn't the Father say that He has given to Jesus a name that is above every other name? And is it not by whom is the gospel preached? It is by none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so the name of God, the name of Christ, the name of the Spirit, these are important things for us to think about. Are we not told, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Why? Because, my dear friends, the name of God stands for and speaks to all of His attributes. It speaks to His whole character. It speaks to His perfect nature. Yes, the name of God is to always be exalted and cared for and used reverentially. Let's be careful never to take the Lord's name lightly. Let's be careful never to take the Lord's name in vain. Sometimes you'll hear people saying, Oh my God, in a very casual and light way. And we are never to use the Lord's name in that sort of an expression. We want to be very careful because Jesus said, I have manifested, I have made known that name of my Father to these disciples, to all of my people. And we now hold up and cherish that name. We exalt the name of our God because it speaks of who He is. It speaks of what He has done for us and how we want to reverence the Lord Jesus prays for His people because they have kept the Word of God. When I read over this, I have studied it many times, and I thought, how could the Lord have said that the disciples have kept His Word? He, they were going to deny Him moments down the road. They were all going to deny Him and flee from Him. And Peter was going to say, I do not know Him. And yet Jesus, He is saying here, because, Lord, they have known Your name and because they have kept Your Word. A mixed bag of disciples. They had so many doubts. They had denials. How could they be said to have kept the Word of God? Friends, in the very same way that the Lord says it about you today as a child of His. He says it because He is very gracious. And the Lord will take even the smallest seed of faith, the smallest evidence that there is faith in the heart. And He will acknowledge that as something very precious. Think of the disciples as well, you know, because when the majority of the Jewish leaders had rejected and denied that Jesus was the Messiah... And today, when millions of people reject and they would not give a second thought to Christ, when the world is so consumed with its own interests, those who believed and followed Christ are those 
who belong to him. And you know something? The Lord will not quench a smoking flax. He, he will not crush a bruised reed. And he takes us in the simplicity and weakness of our faith, and he holds that up as a spectacle. These my people have kept the word of the Father, and they have kept the word of the Father in believing in the Son. They have kept the word of the Father in that they have trusted that He is the Deliverer and the Savior and the Messiah and their hope of eternal life. And we today have kept the word of the Father. And so our Lord Jesus rejoices in that. But there's also a word of caution, isn't there? Because of the times when we have slipped and fallen, or the times that we have willfully gone our own direction, and we have not kept the word of the Father as faithfully as we should have in our denials, yet the Lord Jesus, He has prayed for us, just as He prayed for Peter, that His faith would not fail. And we say, well, did His faith not fail when He denied? Oh, but it did not fail in His acknowledgement of who Christ was in His heart, and His knowledge that he was the Savior and His Savior. And Peter was restored. He prays, Christ does for us, that His grace will be applied to our lives through His atoning work. He prays that our faith will not fail. So yes, that His grace will be given to us, that our faith will not fail, but He also prays this, that we will grow in the likeness of our Lord Jesus. In Romans 8, verse 29, it says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that tells us the very reason why God has saved us so that we will be like His Son. And that's what Jesus is praying for about us. He is praying that we will grow in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. He is praying that we should be to the praise of His glory. Ephesians 1, verse 12. He is praying that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Ephesians 1, verse 4. And so, yes, why is the Lord praying for us today? Because we are His own. Because He loves us and we love Him. Because He wants us to become the full representation of Himself. Because when we get to glory, that's going to be the end for every single child of God we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And that's the plan of God for us. I close just briefly with this. The third point, what does the prayer of Christ mean to His people? Well, of course, we've been thinking about the great hope it gives to us and the comfort that the giver of eternal life has committed Himself for us. And the King of glory, when He makes a promise well, we can be sure that He will not forget that promise. We are in His hand, 
and His truth is in our hearts. And therefore, what it does for us, we can go forward. When the enemy comes at us, we can face the enemy by the Lord's grace and power. We can endure the forces of opposition. We can stand for His truth. For greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And this in conclusion, let us be careful to follow our Lord's example and to pray for one another. We can promise to pray for others, and sometimes we might be forgetful or distracted, but you know Christ never fails in His prayer for us. And the Lord shows us that through the ministry of prayer, it is not a secondary issue. Prayer is a primary matter. And therefore, let us not relegate it to a secondary importance. Our Lord commits Himself to pray for us, and we need to make use of this wonderful grace that we will intercede for others. Because when we do that, and we faithfully mirror our Lord then we are going to glorify God in the very fulfilling of what He has called us to do. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts today. We're going to sing a hymn in closing, number 177, Before the throne of God above, I have a perfect, a strong, and a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
our Father, as we have tried to scratch the surface of this portion of Scripture today, there is such a depth in these words of our Lord Jesus. And I pray that we will have some understanding of His great intercessory work and to be comforted and assured that our Savior is holding us up and He is praying for us that our faith will not fail, that we will never be cast aside, that because we belong to our Father through covenant love and grace, we will never be in a lost eternity. Dear Lord, help us to go forward in the service of the Master, reflecting the love and beauty of our Lord Jesus. Go in front of us, Lord, we pray today, and keep us in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Hear our prayers now. Lord, we pray again that you would speak effectually to the hearts of those who are unsaved, that you would bring them to the foot of the cross and save their precious souls. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 